0: This is Real Estate Rookie, episode 213.
1: I don't count on any of the income that comes from the rental or the storage facility as like true income. I don't touch it. It's just for reinvesting for right now. But in my mind, I can allocate that stuff. So basically I'm living for free right now in the house hack. The rental property covers most of my food every month. And I invested in a bunch of real estate trusts, which you can invest in, in the stock market, and that pays for my car. So. We're slowly ticking the things off. With each property that comes up, it kind of becomes like how how much easier, how how can I live my life for free? And if you keep your expenses down to a a pretty low amount, it's very easy to do that with a small amount of properties.
0: My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson.
2: And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the stories, inspiration, and information you need to kickstart your real estate investing journey. And if you guys have not yet done this, you would really, really appreciate an honest rating and review for the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever it is you consume this content. And uh, before we get started, I just want to highlight a, a recent review that came in. This one's from Excriminator and discriminator said every episode is unique i'm glad you guys do what you do i'm addicted i discovered you guys three weeks ago and i've been binge listening and catching up hopefully soon i can share my success story with you so guys we appreciate all the honest ratings and reviews helps us reach more like-minded investors just like yourselves so ashley care let's get into some boring banter tell me what's going on what's new in your in your world today
0: Well, while we were actually recording this podcast, I was having um, an inspection done by a home inspector on a lake house that I have under contract. And this is the first time that I've actually hired a home inspector in probably five years, I think. Um, So really exciting to have like a bit more peace of mind of what's going on in the property than just buying such a dilapidated property where I already know there's so many big issues that it would be like, you know, a thousand page report from the home inspector. So why even bother hiring them? So yeah, excited to see uh, how it turns out. Uh, my business partner went there and um, met the home inspector and there was no like big red flag. So we'll just get the the final report and hopefully be moving forward.
2: That's awesome. I mean, so you, the reason you haven't gotten was just because you knew you were going to have to like gut the whole place anyway
0: on other properties. Yeah, Where this property, I mean it's it's turnkey. We really shouldn't have to do anything to it, but um we just wanted to get a uh just an inspection report on it just because it's supposed to we're buying it at a turnkey price. So,
2: right. We want to make sure it's solid. You know, uh, for all the inspection reports that we've done, I don't think I've ever like been there in person when the inspection was actually taking place. Like yeah. usually I'll just get it afterwards and I'll like call if I have any questions. Like when you, like, do, were, does you said Daryl was there at the property today, like walking with the inspector.
0: Yeah. And actually the seller was there too. Cause he let them in. Um, But yeah, when I first started out and I had inspections done on every property, I would go and I would just like follow the inspector around just because I wanted to learn
3: learn. And like
0: now, like Daryl brought back this like binder of stuff and I'm like, wait, where's like the inspection report? He's like, Oh no, they send it later. Where, you know, five years ago and I, when I was having it done, like, he would handwrite it as he was going along and he got it like at the end of the inspection and would go over it with you. And so when I stopped using an inspector, I would go through the property using his, inspection checklist template. and his sheets. yeah uh-huh. his template and go through the properties myself and look at everything and obviously i couldn't do everything like check the electrical outlets things like that but um it really helped me get familiar with what actually a home inspector does
2: there you go what a what a great tip to start today's uh today's episode
0: so tony what about you what's going on
2: yeah, I mean, so, so much is going on. We're still working on our big bear deal. So we, we got until the end of August to get that one closed. So making steady progress there. Um, we've got a few flips that we're working on. Uh, we've got a new short term rental that just went live two days ago. Another one we literally just published today. Uh, so just lots of lots of things happening. So we're we're excited for for the next couple of months here.
0: Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I think uh, we are both very excited about the guests that we have on today. Yes. Uh, So we have Nate on, who is actually the copywriter for our podcast. We've never really gotten to put a a face to his name that we see all over (laughs) the podcast stuff. So this is awesome to really be able to meet him too, along with hearing how he got started in real estate.
2: Yeah, and Nate's, you know, there's this misconception maybe about like all the folks at Bigger Pockets that everyone's just like this massive successful real estate investor, but it's not the case. A lot of people are just getting started. And uh, Nate's at three or three properties right now. Uh, Two of those are like single family type residences, but one is a a self storage unit. So he spent a pretty good amount of the the episode talking about how he kind of graduated up to self storage, how he educated himself on analyzing and the process that he's gone through to manage that property as well. So overall. Just a lot of really good nuggets from Nate about breaking into the the world of real estate investing.
0: So if you read the description of this podcast and you did not think it was great, blame Nate.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at DealMachine.com slash BP. We
2: know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion Certified Tenant Screening, RentReady now offers... Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP Like Bigger Pockets Investor for six months of rent ready for only
5: $1. This show is sponsored by Airbnb.
2: Nate, welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, brother. We're super excited to have you. And before we kind of get into your story, I just want to let everyone know that, that, Nate, you're actually a very, very, very important part of this Real Estate Rookie Podcast. Literally every piece of copy that anyone has ever read about the Real Estate Rookie Show came from Nate's fantastic uh, artistic, uh, marketing. I don't know. I'm running out of adjectives. I'm trying to like be like you, man, but you're, you're the copywriter for everything, real estate rookie. So super excited to have you on the show, man, but tell folks a little bit about yourself.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, it's been fun working with BP and I've gotten to see every single time Tony's worn a black shirt. It's every episode. <laughs> it's just black shirts. It's, there's never a gray, there's nothing. So he keeps that vibe going the whole time. Um, so yeah, I'm the copywriter for the Bigger Pockets Podcast. I started about a year and a half ago. We were probably in the high three hundreds on the regular show. Um, you guys were were much, much earlier than that. But I basically look at and watch every podcast that comes out from the Bigger Pockets Podcast Network. We write all the titles, the descriptions. So if you don't like any of them, you can email what's your email, Tony? Tony at Bigger Pockets. <laughs> That's the email My, you can mine email. Is... <laughs> yeah. But um, Slightly before I started working with bigger pockets, I had just started getting into real estate investing. So, obviously, digesting this on a daily basis, a multiple daily basis, has helped out a lot. And yeah, it's just been great to listen to Ashley and Tony uh, give insight to other investors that are kind of new
2: like me. Yeah, I think there's this idea that everyone that works at Bigger Pockets is, you know, is already a real estate investor. But that's not the case. Like, there's quite a few people who haven't started yet, or like at the very beginning phase of their journey. And uh, you know, obviously, Ash and I get to chat with a lot of folks at Bigger Pockets, and it's always so cool to see people kind of start from zero and, and build themselves up. And Nate, you've got a, an interesting story as a real estate investor as well. So, I mean, just kind of give us the background. You said you were already thinking about real estate investing before you came on at BP, but uh, to kind of take us through where that journey has led you so far.
1: Sure. Um, So, from the very, very start, I grew up with a real estate investor as a father. My dad had been investing in rental properties before I was born. So, that has been ingrained in me for a long time. The problem was growing up with someone who is heavily into single family and small multifamily uh, rentals, you can kind of see the headaches that come with it. So. Every single day, it was not unusual for my dad and I to be talking and then he's like, hold on. And then he gets to pick up the phone and it's his handyman and a strong Southern accent. I still have no idea what that guy was saying, talking about like, you know, a plumbing issue, a lighting issue, painting, something like that, because he was running this kind of small portfolio with his partner And, you know, there was just a lot of things to take care of all the time. So the 5 a.m. phone calls, the toilet calls, all that stuff that everybody dreads that's scared of, it wasn't a thing that I had to really like, oh, is that a possibility when I buy a rental? I saw that growing up the entire time. The downside of that was because I saw that so much, it didn't really seem like an option for me because I saw my dad stressing so much over it. And obviously it had huge benefits for the lifestyle we were able to live. I never had to worry about like, or, you know, any mortgage being paid or like food or anything like that, because he was investing from a pretty young age. But I didn't know that that was exactly what I wanted to do, because I saw, I seemed to only see the downsides of it. I didn't see all like the nice life I lived around me. I just saw he's always on the phone. He's always talking to these guys. He seems stressed a lot. There's eviction, stuff like that happening. So I remember when he was, I was 16, maybe he tells me, he's like, Nate, you know, like when I don't want to do this anymore, I'm going to give you all these rentals. And I was like, Please don't do that. I don't want that. Which I know for everybody listening is like, are you kidding? That's like the opportunity of a <laughs> lifetime. I, but I think when you're growing up, you just see the hassle a lot. So it wasn't until I started working at an internship kind of close to the time I was leaving college when I was like, oh, this is how people actually work. W2s in the real world. I understand why he was doing this the whole time, because I'd always like had small businesses that I relied on for money from age 16 up to like early 20s. So when I saw what the other reality was, which I know you both know very well, it kind of clicked to me that, okay, there is a reason for all this stress. It's not like a, you know, it's a worthwhile pursuit to do that.
0: That stress is better than working a nine to five job.
1: Yes. And that's the thing is you always have to think about that, right? It's you're going to suffer either way in life, it's are you going to suffer doing what you like and like having control of your life? Or are you going to suffer at the helm of somebody else? And that's that's your choice. So he chose the right thing in my opinion. Um, But as I'll tell later in the story, I I went a different way because I didn't want to have the full throttle amount that he was handling.
0: We had this guest on once that was talking about how when he got his first rental, he got his first like call from the tenant and they had a maintenance request and he was just like panicking and like full blown anxiety and just like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever and blah, blah, blah. And then he, you know, hung up with the tenant. He called somebody to go take care of the plumbing issue. And then he's like, took a breath and was like, wait, that was just five minutes of my life. And this lady is paying me a thousand dollars a month or whatever it was. They're like, I made, like, I just made a thousand dollars for a five minute phone call. Like that's all the only issue I had that whole month. was that five minute. And I like panicked for no reason. And I think that's like a great example is there. Yeah, there's going to be headaches. There's going to be things you don't want to do, but it's so minimal and minuscule compared to other, uh, you know, opportunities such as nine to five jobs to make money in life. So exactly. so tell us a little bit more about what you did, um, before you started in, in real estate and what made you decide to actually buy that, that first property.
1: So, during that internship, when I was looking around at everybody, I was like, what are you guys doing? And everyone's just the same thing. It's like, oh, on the weekend, like, I go out, I come home, I sleep, and that's it. And I would talk to people about their finances because I'm generally interested. Now, you can do that when you're a younger person in an internship because people will just be like, oh, he's young. He's stupid. He doesn't know that that's, like, pushing the boundary. Use that. Do that when you're young because people, will like, won't mind. But I was talking to people like... Oh, like financial stuff, how are you investing? Are you doing like your Roth? Are you do you have any rental properties? Stuff like that. And the amount of people I talked to who were doing nothing really scared me. And I was just watching it like week in and week out. So I kinda clicked where I was like, I think I should try and buy a rental property after after college. So at the internship I started going on Zillow and it was just looking at markets, like looking at how much the prices of every house was in, you know, in different places that weren't crazy unaffordable, like my home state of California. So after um I got a W two after I left college. And then a year after that, d- this was during, tw- uh, yeah, about a year and a half after. So this was March of 2020. So the best time to buy real estate ever. Nobody said it was a stupid decision at that time. Everybody said, great, buy during the pandemic. Um I had, a ha- I put a house under contract in Rochester, New York, Ashley, which I know that you're probably well aware of. Um
0: Yeah, it's probably like an hour from me.
1: Yeah, so I, cause, that's a very heavy cash flow market, and that's kind of I think when you're young, you care about that a lot more, and you're just like, oh, I got to get cash flow so I can retire early, stuff like that. So I put a, I put a like full cash offer in on a forty thousand dollar house um, in Rochester, New York, and I had it under contract March of twenty twenty. We didn't close until June of twenty twenty. It took that long, um, and that was kind of the first, the first investment I made.
2: But before we keep moving in, can you just give us like a brief overview of what your portfolio looks like today?
1: Yeah. So I have the house I'm currently living in in Florida. I still have that Rochester property. And we also bought a self-storage facility, a 63-unit self-storage facility, me and two partners last month. So it's just three properties. But I guess I can say 65 doors, which makes me sound really impressive. (laughs) So (laughs) can I say that at a meetup?
0: I would say don't say just three properties because that's still impressive. I mean... I think there's people already drooling right now. Oh, he has a self storage facility. I don't want one of those.
1: <laughs> that was me for a year. I was like, how are you <laughs> people doing this? But yeah, with that first property, it was, it was kind of a really entirely cash flow. It was not a good market. I'm sure I can talk to Ashley about this later. It's not a very good market, um, it wasn't like it was like a C neighborhood. It was a C house. It wasn't super super taken care of. The saving grace, which was the reason I probably still invest in real estate now, is that I had really good inherited tenants, like really good people who the entire time during COVID, when they couldn't have paid me, tried their hardest they could to pay me the whole time. Um, and it was the same thing actually. What you were saying before, where. As soon as I closed on the property, I remember like I was going to sleep that night after, you know, everything was done. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to call me and something's going to happen. I'm going to have to call someone else. Um, And and that happened and you kind of just get over it. But yeah, that was the first property. And I think going, buying in a C neighborhood, a C property with still very good tenants, but not the best house, not the best area. The cash flow was fine. But buying that residential real estate and realizing that I was like, even if I'm picking up the phone three or four times a month and it's maybe taking me one to two hours of work to do this rental property stuff, the the scale of doing that, um, isn't that fast with a, just, just like buying a single property at a time. And that kind of led me into maybe we should try something a bit, a bit bigger.
2: Yeah, and I, I want to, I definitely want to get into the self storage piece, Nate, because I, I think that's, you know, people are always intrigued by the idea of going bigger, but before we do, so you've got a property in, in Rochester, uh, where's the where's the self storage facility at? what, what state?
1: The self storage facility is in Alabama and I'm in Florida, Alabama.
2: Okay, so you got you got one in Rochester, one in Alabama, this other one in Florida. So walk us through your process for choosing uh, a new market to go into. like what is your analysis and due diligence looks like and, and like at what point do you say, okay, this is a, this is a good market. Let me sink my teeth and let me s- start submitting offers.
0: When you bought the Rochester one, was that when you were living in California? I mean, that's literally like the farthest point across the country that you could <laughs> <The choose.
1: country. laughs> I, I don't know what it was, but I, yeah, I had never been, to, I've never been to New York. I tried to go to upstate New York one time to look at the house during COVID. And they were like, get out, you're from California. I was like, okay, so I couldn't do that. Um, I don't know why
2: I chose the farthest part. Wait, it's so just, Nate, you still haven't seen the property. In I person, still in haven't person seen the in
1: property Mar- in person. Um, and I'm probably going to, to sell it soon, so I can move it into more self storage. Um, but no, I, I never saw it. I don't know why I picked that far away. Uh, but when I was doing it, I wasn't very educated on choosing a market in the first place. It was literally just like, does it cash flow? Is my house going to get damaged by some like really bad thing? And if it basically was, there's like two to three hundred plus dollars of cash flow, and I feel like my tenants can safely live there. That was kind of it. That's not the way you should do rental property analysis at all. Um, but it's worked out till now, but yeah, that was, it was very basic. I was a complete beginner.
2: But Nate, there's, there's several thousand miles in between California and Rochester, and there's thousands of other potential cities in between those two locations. So what was it about Rochester that made you even begin to look there?
1: They had, a. they had, they don't have like an increasing population, but they have a pretty large population. It's 200,000 plus, um, their houses are relatively cheap. I bought the first house 40K in cash and I'm a very financially anxious person, probably as it is. So for me, buying something in cash took away that fear of like, um, a mortgage collector is going to come after me. I just wanted to do the first one in cash just as like a complete learning experience because I didn't want to mess with any sort of leverage when I really didn't have any idea of what I was doing. So that was a market that hit. The population was relatively big. I knew there was a lot of renters. The, The cash flow was giving me you know, two to three hundred plus bucks a month. That's like true cash flow after everything. Um, their Section Eight laws are also really good. So that was another thing. Because I was buying in a C class neighborhood, um, I knew that I could probably get Section Eight renters there. The thing is, the house I bought it for forty thousand dollars. It could be rented on Section Eight for fourteen eighty right now. So what is that like a three point something percent? That that's that's it's insane. But I just knew that there were there were options that I could take if something really went bad because there is a pretty strong section eight market in rochester and they seem to be able to give out the money quite freely so it was just i had a few points where i felt like i had some defense going into the deal that i felt comfortable with that why i didn't do anywhere in the midwest it was just i looked at so many markets and nothing was matching that i can buy this in cash and it can cash flow metrics as soon as i got there i was like let's just do something because i was tired of waiting
2: so Nate, something else you mentioned that I want to dive into is the fact that you, you still haven't seen this property. So I, I, for a lot of new investors, there's, there's a high level of fear and anxiety around buying property sight unseen. Um, but you were able to do this nonetheless during a pandemic. So walk us through kind of what your process was for completing your due diligence on this property that you were never able to see in person.
1: Um. So the first thing I would tell people is, if you're gonna buy a residential property, probably see it in person, unless you have a really good team. Um, I had obviously we did a full inspection, and everything, and we had about three months of closing, so there was time to do it multiple multiple times. Um, I had I had an investor friendly agent who I found probably through Bigger Pockets um, that I got to go into the house and do like the full you know Zoom videos with me, so I could see everything. Also, when you're buying a rental property in Rochester, they make you go through a certain, I forgot what it's called, but you have to get a certain like rental qualification. Someone has to go into it from the city and make sure that it's livable. So that passed. I looked at it with my real estate agent and I got an inspector to look at it. Um, It's, I also had a few months after I bought it. Now this is after the fact, I had a handyman that my father knew in a neighboring state, drive up there and do like a full deep dive into what, you know, everything that had to be done there. But it was basically inspector, the city, and my agent who were all able to lay eyes on it before I wanted to dip out of the deal if I wanted to.
2: Nate, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is exactly the same advice that I give to new investors as well. It's like, Nate, like you had never purchased a rental property before, right? So how much value do you believe you would have added on top of the city inspector, your agent, and a professional property inspector?
1: Oh, zero. Like, I'm a first-time homeowner right now as a house, like, house hacking. I was impressed that I installed a sink in the bathroom. Like, I don't know anything about construction. I, I know, like, if you showed me, a, like, an electrical box, and they're like, how many volts? I'd be like, I can't even read this. I don't know. So, it's it, it's it's not – if you're someone who's new that's getting in, and you know that there's people who have experience that you can trust that can do the things that you can't do – I could say you could you could feel pretty confident buying an out-of-state property that you've never seen because, yeah, it's like what you said. What are you going to provide that they can't? If you're coming from a background like mine where it's like, I know the numbers, but mechanically I know zero, mm-hmm. there's not much I can add to that besides like, do I feel safe in this neighborhood physically? And for some people that might be worth it to go see it. But, you know, like I asked my agent, what do you think about this? How do you feel? Is it okay as a rental? And he got back to me on all those questions. I mean, we were talking like every day about this stuff. So I had someone I could trust that I could ask.
2: Nate, I do think there's a ton of value and obviously being able to see the property in person, but not so much from a for anything other than emotional, right? I think for a lot of new investors, there's just a sense of like emotional. Um, I don't know, you, you just feel better as a new investor if you can see the property in person. But usually if you're a new investor that's never purchased a property before, you're just gonna kind of walk around take a look, oh, this looks this looks good, you know? And like, you're not gonna have a really technical or critical analysis of what needs to be done to that property. But you can get an inspection report and see that, hey, this panel is an, an old panel that might need to be upgraded, and you can take that and get a quote. Or you can see that, hey, there was some some leaking in the roof here in this this bathroom that looks like maybe it was a bad patch. You can take that and say, okay, what's the, what's the quote to get that corrected? You can take all the information that's in an inspection report, shop that around to other qualified professionals and then you'll get an idea of whether or not that property is still a good deal. So that, you know, that's always my advice for for new investors is to have a property inspector, agent, if you can get a contractor to walk through it, let the professionals be the ones to give you their opinion on the value of that property.
1: Yeah. I it's that's I, for the house hack I'm living in right now, I I came here. I came from California for a week to look at all the properties because I'm living in this property. I'm also going to be living with other people in this property. That's emotional value to me that I need to feel safe in my own neighborhood. It's 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 not as much like, you know, if it's your own house you're living in, you're like, oh, like there's a fountain out there. I love that fountain. I don't know why I just like it, you know, but that's something that it's not the same with a rental property as it would be when you're living in there. So I completely agree.
0: Yeah, there are those uh, differences. And especially even with doing the due diligence, there may be things that you'd be able to live with, If it's your own house or versus if it's a rental, I mean, it it can go either way. But Nate, I want to know, how are you, are you managing this from afar? Or did you hire a property management company?
1: I learned from my father that 90% of property management companies are not great. Um, And I also got, most people told me they're like in the Rochester area. I talked to so many agents and every single one said, none of the property managers are good. I tried to reach out to someone. They didn't even get back to me. That was the like, oh, that's the sign. So I've been yeah. self managing it for two years now. I have a very good relationship with my tenants. Like they, they have, they've, they've done right by me so many times. And as soon as they need anything fixed, they call me and I call whoever needs to come out and, you know, take care of the house. It's, it's worked out fine for me. I mean, I haven't gotten a call from them in a month and a half. If it's a busy month, I'll get maybe three calls mm-hmm. and it's just stuff you have to deal with. But, not even the money saving part of it, I I felt like it was important for me as a first time investor to manage the property myself, even if it was out of state, because I feel like I know so much more about not only my tenants, but the house through just talking to them through any issue that comes up.
0: Are you using any software or anything to like make them have uh, pay their rent online or they submit their maintenance requests online or anything like that?
1: I, I wish because I were for bigger pockets, I hear this enough. Um, no, but I, I don't though. It's it's just because I had that one rental. I think if it was beyond that, I would, but it's yeah. so easy for me to manage everything internally that I don't have anything. I tried Stessa for a bit, that was fine, but I, I don't know why I'm such a like spreadsheet freak that I like my own stuff much better. Um
0: So you're a lady in the streets but a freaking the spreadsheets.
1: <laughs> yes i am a lady um but yeah it's yeah it's it's the, my spreadsheets are i mean i think if it's just one property and you're really trying to like get nitty-gritty it's fine but i think yeah. anything past that where you have multiple tenants it's it makes no no sense to not use all the free property management software that's out there
2: Yeah. So Nate, I want to talk a little bit about your move as well. Now you were in California, you were a SoCal boy like me, and uh, you packed up and moved to, 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 Florida. I just want to know what, what prompted that move. Was it, uh, like a, a cost saving thing? Was it because you wanted to invest there? What was the the motivation and what have been some of the benefits of making that move?
1: Um, I, I think so I'm from, I'm from, I'm not, well, I lived in San Diego. So for me being by the ocean is very, very important. Now there's no waves here cause I'm on the Gulf side. Um, but there still is the ocean in a relatively short distance. So that was nice for me. But the biggest thing was probably affordability. Like Tony and I lived in California, or he lives in California. I lived in California. It is, I think the average home price in San Diego is about $800,000 right now. And even if you can afford that, it's hard to make that make sense. I have friends who are house hacking in San Diego. And even with the subsidies from... Renting out another room as like a medium-term rental, something like that, they still have to pay three to four thousand dollars a month just towards like PITI stuff like that. So for me, it was a lot of cost savings. It's not only that. Yeah, you can buy a house here for four hundred thousand. My house is four hundred twenty-eight thousand, and I should be able to to subsidize the rent by about seventy-five percent. And on top of that, I also now don't pay any state income tax. So my, even though I'm not living for free on paper, I am living for free because I'm saving enough from state taxes that covers the rest of what I would be paying on my mortgage. So for me, it was like, I can be close to the beach. This area is growing a lot. I'm in Sarasota, so it's close to Tampa. So it's growing, it's growing a ton. It's a very nice place to live. The, you know, school systems are great. You're close by the beach and I get to essentially live for free I don't really know why I wouldn't do that, especially when I'm, I don't like, I don't have so much physical attachment over to San Diego that I couldn't, you know?
0: Do you have any other tips or tricks? I mean, it seems like you've gotten a great plan in place to live for free, but do you have any advice for our rookie listeners of some creative strategies that they can do to reduce their living expenses?
1: Um, I mean, you can rent hack if you're renting a place and it allows you to sublet it to other people. You can rent out another room that you're not using. Um, I have had I know people that have rented out their garages as storage. You can get like a couple hundred dollars a month for that. If you're thinking about making a, like a move for house hacking, definitely visit the area first, but look for the places that seem like there's a lot of businesses going into them. Tampa's a big part of that, and that equals job growth, which usually equals more pay, so then everything is probably just going to increase in, in price. Also, Sarasota is a place with very, very low inventory, and you have to basically whack down like jungles to build here so there is some barrier to entry for new homes so if you're looking for some place that is going to appreciate that you are going to be able to subsidize your costs like just look at where the population is moving towards look at your total cost with you know state tax savings if you're going from one state to another state and just look at the you know go on roomies.com or roommates.com and look at what a room could rent for and then just use the bigger pockets calculators to go calculate out how much money you would save
2: so Nate, I know you've got the house hack going on, which is fantastic. And we recently had Craig Kurlop on an episode where he, he kind of gave like all the, the ins and outs of house hacking. So if you guys haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to that one. But Nate, I know something else that a lot of folks do is they'll like, as they're building their portfolio, they'll say like, Hey, this rental is to cover my, you know, my whatever, my credit card debt, or this rental is to cover my, my student loan payments. Are you using any of those strategies as you build your portfolio?
1: Yes, 100%. Um, I don't I don't count on any of the income that comes from the rental or the storage facility as like true income. I don't touch it. It's just for reinvesting for right now. But in my mind, I can allocate that stuff. So basically, I'm living for free right now in the house hack. The rental property covers most of my food every month. And I invested in a bunch of real estate trusts, which you can invest in the stock market and that pays for my car. So we're slowly ticking the things off. Health insurance is going to be a tough one because I'm self-employed. But yeah, each with each property that comes up, it kind of becomes like how, how much easier, how, how can I live my life for free? And if you keep your expenses down to a, a pretty low amount, it's very easy to do that with a small amount of properties.
0: So Nate, I, earlier you said that you're getting about $200 per month cash flow, was it, on that Rochester house?
1: Three. It's probably like 300 yeah, three
0: hundred. Okay, so you said that covers most of your monthly food costs. Yes. How much are you spending on a meal? <laughs> so maybe,
1: oh, I bet, I bet the producer Eric told you guys about this. Um, I, 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 I watched the Money Show because I'm also the copywriter for that, and I've always been a pretty frugal person, and it's kind of made sense to me my whole life that the less I spend, the closer I am to financial freedom. So I. My girlfriend, and I consistently will eat out for probably twenty five dollars or less. And if it's over that, we like look at each other and we're like, what are we doing? Like, this is insane. Um, and, you know, I mean, we're, we just buy a bunch of vegetables and beans and stuff like that and eat that stuff all the time. So
0: the Dave Ramsey beans and rice.
1: <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. Like I get those Taco Bell, the bean, just bean and rice, no cheese, but just bean and rice burritos. Those are like a dollar fifty, and I'll just eat four of those at a time. You know, there's ways to do this, people.
2: So Nate, I want to talk a little bit about the self storage piece because I, I know that's that's an asset class that I'm super excited about, and and. You know, I, I think honestly, after we do short-term rentals, short or self-storage will be the next asset class we move into. Uh, so I'm, I'm just curious, right? So you you have this new one that you just got under contract, 63. Um, they're not called. What do you call them in self-storage? Or they like measure by like the square footage, right? Like how many square feet typically. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, you so you have these two kind of residential properties, and you leveled up pretty quickly into this massive uh, self-storage portfolio. Talk us through, A, why you made that decision to, to kind of level up, and then B, how did you even start educating yourself on what is a good purchase in the self-storage asset class?
1: Yeah. Learning about this whole different asset class is a lot. It's, it's just weird if you're a residential investor, because for a long time, you don't think you can buy these things. You think like that's for really rich people. Only they can buy self-storage facilities. Only they can buy, you know, hotels and motels and campsites and all the stuff that you guys are doing now. It's... It takes like a big mindset shift for you to realize that that there's not really a barrier to entry to any of this. There's just, can you do it? And if you think you can do it, you probably can. So what was happening was I have someone who I used to work for. She was my manager at my old job. And we were always talking about real estate at work just so she ended up buying a duplex in Cleveland around the same time I was buying the single family house in Rochester about a year later she texted me and she's like can I pay you money to help real estate coach me I'm like I don't think I can accept money I have one unit that doesn't really seem like a an acceptable amount to do coaching so I said but I was like do you really want to buy more real estate she said yeah I said why don't we just go at it together and then just pull our money and you know do it together because I trusted her I worked with her for so long so originally we were thinking apartment complexes, but then we kind of got on the whole topic of like the toilets and the trash and everything else like that. And that over time, like it kind of blended into, okay, so what should we do? And we were thinking, what can we do that's not residential? And then we had two two options, mobile home parks and self-storage. They both kind of operate the same because both of them, you're literally just paying for like a spot somewhere. That's how it works. If you, you know, at, for mobile home parks, most of the time the mobile home part or the mobile home owners will pay for all their own maintenance and self-storage. I have a concrete box and it's like, you know, in those movies where like the angels sing because someone realizes something. That's how I felt when I realized that somebody would pay money to put their stuff in a box. I, I didn't realize this before, but it was so amazing when I realized it. Um, so we kind of shifted gears towards that and then we hunted around for a deal for. About a year before we finally got one. But the way that you you would get educated on that is, you read books. You read books by A.J. Osborne. You read books like what is it? Crushing it in commercial real estate is that by? Why am I forgetting his name? Brian Murray. Brian Murray, yeah. And yeah. You, there's 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 sites. There's tons of people to talking about on Bigger Pockets. There's there's sites like Storage Rebel, stuff like that. It's very easy to get self storage information. And anytime I had a question, does it need to be climate controlled? What kind of like unit breakup do you guys have on your facilities? I could just ask it in a forum and someone would answer it. And that was pretty much how we got educated on it. I don't know if I answered the full question. Maybe I went on a tangent, but.
0: Well, Nate, can we use this as like your deal dive here?
1: Yes, we can do the rookie deal review. Let's go.
0: (laughs) See, he even knows the name of it better than I do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 I'm ready. I'm ready for this.
0: Okay, so I'm going to rapid fire you some questions, and then you can kind of go into the story of it.
1: I'm completely unprepared.
0: Okay, so you had mentioned this deal was in Alabama. Yes. Um, And how did you find the deal?
1: So when I was originally looking for off-market, I was looking for off-market self-storage deals. I would be calling like everybody throughout Florida, Alabama, like Sunbelt area. Um, and I found a deal that didn't work for me. So I called a wholesaler whose list I was on, and I said... Just take this information. I don't even want anything for it. Can you just keep sending me more deals? And he was like, sure. So luckily enough, four months later, he's like, I'm on the email list. And there's a deal that's coming up in Alabama. I saw him start to drop the price over time and nobody was bidding at it. So I thought it was overpriced. We ran the numbers. Um... We realized it would work at some level, but it wasn't, or some price, it wasn't the price that he was asking for. So I got it through a wholesaler. Can I explain what a wholesaler is for people who don't know what wholesalers are?
0: Yes, that'd be great. Okay.
1: So a wholesaler is basically someone who calls, like they'll, they'll either send letters to or call properties that aren't for sale on the market. And they'll ask owners who might want to sell their property, would you sell the property to me? If the, if the owner of the property says yes, they'll lock it up in a contract and then the wholesaler legally, because of a, there's a stipulation in that contract that says, even if I don't buy this, I can hand it off to another person who can buy it at the same price, same everything in the contract. Um, and they usually charge a fee for this. So our wholesaler did charge a fee. But that's, that's how a wholesaler works. They're basically just kind of the matchmaker between an off-market property and you, a person who doesn't want to do all that work, and they collect a fee at the end. Um, so we got it through a wholesaler.
2: Nate, really quick, before you move off the wholesaler piece, how did you find this wholesaler in this new market you've never been in? Like, What advice do you have for someone looking to find a wholesaler?
1: If you want to find wholesalers, if you're looking at residential houses or anything, the easiest thing to do is look up on Google, like cash for houses, insert the city you're looking for, and there will be tons of websites that come up. You can email any of the people on those websites and they will put you on a buyer's list where they'll send you deals. You can also go and they like to blast a lot. Facebook groups. I'm part of a bunch of self storage Facebook groups. People always say if you need like deals, sign up for my email list. Uh, I know there's people who will probably say it on Bigger Pockets, but if you just, you might even be able to look up wholesaler my city, and you can find a website and you can sign up for people's buyers lists on that website.
2: That's so funny. I've never thought of doing it that way. Oh yeah. I just Googled like cash buyer uh, or cash for houses, Pigeon Forge. And yeah, there's like six, seven websites that popped up saying we'll buy your house in Pigeon Forge. So yeah, that's a great tip, man.
1: Quick tip. There you go. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Wrong podcast. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> so, uh, OK, back to the the rapid fire. What is the what was the purchase price on this property?
1: So. He wanted $400,000 for it. It didn't make any sense at $400,000. It made sense around three sixty, dollars but not four hundred. dollars So I went to the wholesaler and I was like, dude, you've been emailing this out maybe four or five times. Nobody, nobody wants it at this price. What if you just let the contract go, like void it with the seller, give me the seller's contact information, and then I'll just pay you the same wholesaler price if I lock down a deal with him? And for him, that's a zero risk way of doing it. We signed like a, we signed kind of a JV agreement with each other that if I got the deal, he would get paid his wholesaler fee. So there wasn't any way of me going around him. So he says he says, "Let me wait for one other buyer to see if he wants it." The other buyer didn't want it. He comes back to me and he goes, "Okay, I've just voided the contract with the seller. Here's his information." Um, so re- remember, the wholesaler was asking four hundred. I call the buyer, and within about five minutes, the buyer says to me on the phone, "I'll take three fifty for it," and I go. <laughs> okay. So that's, that's how we got to that price. And that was a price that worked, that worked well with me. The, it was also a very, very nice owner. He's helped us the entire time, like moving over to our management, get, sending us everything we need, going to the facility, cleaning out units that he like, that he had stuff in and mowing. He's, he's like, I'll mow the lawn for you the whole summer. Oh, that's fine. I'm like, okay. So um, that's when people, I think people get hung up a lot of times. We're like, this is the price. And it's never that this is the price there's ways to get around that but yeah we ended up at three 350 and the wholesaler fee was fourteen thousand five hundred, and that's on a two percent interest only loan for two years so hopefully by the time we refi we can just give them that yes tony pretty crazy right so two percent oh no sorry five percent two year at five percent that's still pretty good though oh
2: gosh gotcha. yeah gotcha. okay so. but yeah still still really impressive so really impressive Wait, so if I can keep going, like, how did you guys finance this thing? What was the, was it, was it a cash offer? Did you bring guys bring some debt? What did, what did this look like?
1: It was just a 20% down commercial loan from the local, uh, the local credit union who the, who the seller was actually a commercial underwriter there. So he, he was like, Hey, if you buy this and use our bank, I will give you a 4% interest rate for 15 years, 25 years amortized. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. So so, so that was the thing. And, and that was we locked down that that closed on the first of this month. Interest rates were not 4% at the first of this month. I don't know how they're doing this. I don't want to ask. I'm just getting the loan. Um, but yeah, so it was let me explain that again for, for the rookies who don't know what I was saying. It is a 4% interest rate. The loan will last 15 years, but the length of the loan is over 25 years. So at the end of that 15-year period, we will, in theory, owe the next 10 years worth of loan payments at once. But we're probably going to refinance out sooner than that or sell it before that even happens. So for us, it's more like a long-term, low mortgage, low interest rate loan.
0: And instead of having it amortized over 15 years, the the length of the actual loan Spreading it out to the 25 years makes your payment a lot smaller and, and hence gives you more cash flow the longer you can amortize exactly. out too, which is awesome. Yeah. Okay. So how are you, your strategy with this is obviously self-storage, but how are you managing it? You had mentioned that the owner helped you kind of switch over to your own type of management. What are the differences there compared to what he was doing? So
1: before he was like, everything's on a piece of paper. That's how he sent me everything. Every customer info, phone number, address, contract is a written down piece of paper. Okay? I love the gentleman. He's so kind. I would not do what he was doing because it seems like such a headache. So I and my partners had to take the time to transfer like 45, 50 tenants worth of all information, contracts, and everything onto spreadsheets and then into an online system that's called ESS. It's Easy Storage Solutions. And that's kind of a property management software for storage that allows people to put in their credit cards and you know have recurring billing purchase insurance stuff like that but it was basically a uh nate is on the weekend nate turns on a netflix show nate tries to understand what this man scribbled on a piece of paper and put it <laughs> into a spreadsheet um but we got it We're, we got all the customer info and in after a month it's 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 amazing i'm so happy about that
0: that's really cool <laughs>
2: That's com, and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like bigger pockets investor for six months of rent ready for only $1.
3: Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered.
5: If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets.
0: Okay, so what is kind of your exit strategy on this? It's You said maybe you'll sell it or refinance before 15 years, but what are some of your kind of immediate um, goals that you have for it? So
1: we, the... Part of the reason we liked the storage facility, it was it was so heavily under rented or not under rented. It was the the rents were way below market. It was about at 75 percent occupancy when we bought it. So pretty close to full. But for something that might have been eighty five dollars a month unit, the old owner was charging forty dollars. So and every single self-storage facility in the area was was charging eighty, like $85, $90. And this one had no online presence. Nobody knew it existed unless you drove by it. So our long-term thing is basically we're going to try and increase the rents over time. Get By get either A, getting in new customers at the full price it should be and slowly through like a multiple tiered way that we're doing it, increase the rents of the current occupants. That should take us probably about a year or two because you, I don't want to do things too quickly and get people to just you know dip all at once. But... When that's done, when we get everything to market rent, start selling uh, self-storage insurance, which if you don't know this, if you offer self-storage insurance, you get a kickback from the company, a pretty significant amount that increases your profit. Um, once, once we get it all rented out like 90% plus, we've calculated the, the facility should be worth at a minimum with a pretty high cap rate, $500,000. Um, so then there would be 150K profit made over about a year or two. And then we could either choose to should we refinance and buy a same size facility or should we sell the whole thing and 1031 it
2: into a bigger facility and just repeat until we're bajillion trillion fillionaires? So Nate, I mean, gosh, like so many so many questions are up in my head right now. So first, I know you said that you're using the, the easy storage solutions software but are, are you personally managing this thing or is, is Bubba still playing some kind of role in the, the day-to-day management for you guys?
1: So we're managing all that, we're managing that I have I have two other partners, so one of them handles the customer service. I kind of manage getting everything into ESS. My other, ma- my other partner then just takes it from there. So we have everything in there. It's super streamlined. You can text people, email everyone through that system. We're handling all the management. The, the old owner isn't, isn't handling anything besides just helping us continually get it rolling because he lives in the area. But yeah, we're self-managing that whole thing.
0: Have you been there to that property? Oh, no, she asked
1: me this question. Nope. No, I have not. <laughs> um, I will be going. Um, I will be going in. I think we're going to try and go in September. But the thing is, what's cool is because it's it's about an hour outside of Huntsville. And I have a good friend who invested in Huntsville and had like a great property inspector. So I got that guy, too. And, you know, he looked around the the, the facility, sent us a lot of pictures. Um, we, we asked him his opinion of stuff. And it's it's been pretty good so far. And every single time we've had a new customer come in and say, you guys have any open units? And we say, yeah. And they go, okay. And they accept the full price that we asked them for. So we know we're not like completely off base for the area. But no, I haven't visited. Why did you ask me that, Ashley? Now I seem like a rookie.
0: (laughs) No, I think that's so cool that you're able to get all this stuff done and you don't even have to go to the property or look at it.
1: Have partners.
0: I think that's awesome.
1: Have partners that that do things that you don't want to do. Because (laughs) like doing this alone, I guess it's cool because you got all the clout. You're like, I own a 63 unit self-storage facility. I get all the profit. But Dude, it sucks if you're doing all this on your own. It's less fun. It's so much pain. Everybody's asking you for something all the time. When you spread the risk, it's it's just way better.
0: I, I have to 100% agree with you today while I'm recording podcasts, which I love to do. My business partner, Daryl, was out at a, the lake house where we're buying and getting our in, with all the right. inspector, getting the inspection done. Yes. And like, for me, that is not something I enjoy standing there waiting for the inspector to be done, small talking a little bit with the seller, (laughs) like things that that's like things he loves to do. So, yeah, you're exactly right. It makes it way more fun doing it with somebody else. And especially when they enjoy the things that you don't want to do.
1: I hate calling people like I think it's the worst thing ever. Like, I just don't like talking to people, even though I'm a very social person. Yeah. So I have a partner who has no problem with it. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I'll just, I'll pick up the phone from people. And that's the weirdest thing to me. But I, I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm so blessed. Thank you, Alex. I love you. Um, that he's, (laughs) that he's taking care of this for the business because like, there are things you're, you're good at. Like, I think I'm good at the learning about real estate side. And there's some things my partners are good at, like, you know, calling customers who won't pick up the phone and calling them five days straight, stuff like that. So yeah. I'm very thankful for them.
2: So Nate, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the analyzing piece. So you talked about how you guys kind of stumbled into this one and a little bit of the educational piece. You talked about maybe 1030, 1031 this property into something larger. So it makes me wonder like, what is your, what is your buy box for these self-storage facilities? Like what, what kind of boxes do you need to check to say, okay, this is a good investment for, for us and our team?
1: So Off of the first one, we didn't really want to borrow anybody else's money. We wanted to make sure that we could do it all on our own. So we had kind of like a half a million dollar was the max price. Um, We wanted it in an area that that had at least a population of around 6,000 people. And there's ways you can figure this out, like how many storage facilities per... Per a certain area, does the area need to fulfill the demand? So that was another thing we checked out. Like this, I think this town is nine thousand people that we invested in, and there's like four storage facilities. And if you count up all the units, it's it's under
2: demand of what people need. Can you dive into that a little bit more, Nate? Like like how do you, like what is an adequate number of supply given nine thousand residents in a city?
1: Okay, so I'm not A.J. Osborne, so please don't quote me on this. But <laughs> but the way that it works is about I think the recent numbers show that ten point five percent of U.S. households use self storage and there's about 2 to 3 people per household. You can look that up in the county county like, you know, website. How many people per household on average is there in this city? So if you think there's about a 10.5% need for, you know, how many households, you can divide it and say, okay, how many storage units are there available? And if it's under what the demand shows, you probably have, you know, you can you can start up a storage facility in there. If it's if it's way over and there are some cities like small towns that have I've seen towns with like, yeah, it's a 300 person town. I have a 400 unit storage facility. I'm like, I don't know if that's going to work. So <laughs> that's, that's some way to look at it is because it's like, this is a business. It's more of a business than rental properties. I think even though obviously rental properties is a business, but it's like a real business. You know, you're on Yelp. People are looking you up on Google reviews. Like you need to make sure there's actual demand there. And another great way to look at this is because ours wasn't online like nobody knew it existed. We looked at all the other facilities within like a 10 mile radius. Every single one was booked, you know, minus a parking spot here, a one unit there. That shows you already that if there's not, you know, like if everything's filled to the brim in the area, there's probably a good chance that other people want to get in, especially if you can call other places and they say, oh, we already have a 10 person waiting list. So you have to get on it. Like 10 people, those are my 10 customers. Let's go. So, you know, it's, there's a few ways to figure that
0: out. Um, And Nate, real quick, he mentioned A.J. Osborne, who is the self-storage king. If you guys uh, haven't heard of him and you are really loving this episode with Nate talking about self-storage, so you can listen to A.J. Osborne on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, episode 286, Um, if you really, really want to dig into the the mind of a self-storage genius (laughs) and check that out.
1: Aren't you friends with him?
0: Yeah, yeah. He's an awesome guy, too. That's why I plug him every single day, not only as a great real estate investor, but just a really awesome person in general.
1: All right. Don't show him this episode yeah. in case I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> you know what's funny? I was thinking as you were saying that, I was like, you could probably give him the exact town and he'd be like, yeah, that's about, you know, he'd be able to thro- throw off some statistics, <laughs> just a random town in Alabama.
2: <laughs> cool. Well, can we talk a little bit more about the, the marketing aspect? So I know you said that uh, this, this place had no online presence whatsoever. So what has been the plan for you all to kind of beef up the, uh, you know, the the online marketing for, for the self-storage facility?
1: So the the good thing about this is I come from an SEO background and now a kind of SEO combo copywriting background. Um, My partner also comes from an SEO background where she worked at like multi-billion dollar companies and knows everything about organic search. So Basically, the way that we're doing this now is, you know, obviously, you get your Google page set up, you have to submit your every and all the information about your self storage facility to the billions of listing sites out there. So you're on every single one of them. Um, And yeah, we've just been doing that. We've been hitting like all those listing services. We're going to start trying to get in reviews because that's I mean, you're in short term rentals, you know this. It's like the biggest thing if you're trying to make your business just grow out of nowhere. So Yeah, we're getting set up with with Google Business, all the listing services, Yelp, Squarefoot, everything else like that. Um, And then we're going to start a referral program with the current customers. They'll get X percent off of, you know, rent in two months if they refer someone over and that person also gets X percent off. And I think in these small towns, referrals is way bigger than for us in like big cities. So we're going to push on all those angles. My SEO partner could go more into this than I can because she's doing like all of it.
0: How do you? How are you going to track those referrals? Is that something you're manually going to have to track or is that like built into the software?
1: We can set that up with like a different, so like UTM URLs and stuff like that, where we can set up different URLs that people come in from. So on Google Analytics or other, you know, th- analytics softwares like that, you can see kind of which site someone came from or which code they used or which ad campaign they came from as well. So... Yeah. There's, there's, again, it's like a, it's a business, less of a rental property. So if you know your stuff, it's, it's kind of helpful, which thank God she does.
0: Okay. So to kind of wrap up, uh, the deal here, what is your cash flow going to end up being here?
1: I think if we do it right, we should be cash flowing somewhere between like two and a half to $4,000 a month off of it. Um, and that's after the mortgage payment. Um, so it's it's pretty good for three partners as a split, yeah. especially if it's 3K, it's like a thousand dollars each. Um, But it's more important than us that we get the cash flow up so we can refi because this is a mm-hmm. commercial loan. They're looking at income. We need to like we need to just show as much income as we can to get the value of the property up.
0: And what do you think that value is going to be after you increase the rents to where you want them for everyone? What do you, what do you think that value will be on it?
1: hopefully low estimate around 500k. Um, it could be anywhere from five to 600 if like things go really well. But that we always set up these parameters in our in our calculations where we have a worst case, okay, and best case scenario. And I always look at the worst case scenario, I'm like that's the one. So yeah. <laughs> if if I can at least hit that, um, I'm doing I, I'm doing all right.
0: I mean, increasing a property value by 150k in a short period of time. I mean, that's awesome. That's great. That's 50k in net worth for you and each of your partners (laughs) so
1: yeah and it's 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 cool because the partners i'm working with no one's really concerned about taking profits or spending any of this right now yeah all of us are just thinking okay we're gonna use this for the next one and then do that for the next one and then in about five to ten years when we're all like i'm tired of working with you we're done with this then we can then we can be good
0: just sell it all cash out take it running and run
2: put it in wreaths and then just go to sleep for a while you know yeah. <laughs> well, Nate, congratulations, man. Sound like you got a pretty killer deal there, and we're excited to see how it turns out. And again, just before we move off of this, I think that's obviously the big power of of commercial real estate is that you do have the ability to manipulate the the value of that property in a way that you can't really with single family residential properties um, because your commercial properties are based off of your noi or net operating income and then the prevailing cap rates what other big properties are selling for and you kind of divide those things um, whereas your single family residences are all based off of appraisals. so if you can buy this property increase the NOI by increasing the income, decreasing the expenses or some combination of both, you've just immediately increased the value of that property as well. So really, really love the approach there, man. And we're we're excited to see where you take that one.
1: I'm going to try guys.
2: I'll do it just for you (laughs) too. All right. So I want to take us now to our uh, rookie request line. So, for those of you that are listening, if you want to get your question featured on the show, you can give us a call at 8885 rookie. And if the question is a good one, maybe we'll use it for the show. So, today's question eight is actually about partnerships, which you just talked about. So, are you ready for today's question? I think so. All right. So, today's question is from Davidson D. And Davidson says, having multiple properties with the same partner, should it be one big LLC? Uh, or multiple single member LLCs owned by a parent LLC that is then split 50/50. Thanks so much for your time. So what are your thoughts on that, Nate? It's multiple rental properties. That's what it sounds like having multiple properties with the same partner. Like what you know I guess how have you guys kind of structured your your legal setup with, uh, with you and your partners? The way
1: that we want to do it long term thinking is each each property has its own LLC. Um, we want to limit the way that people can go after us. I've listened to a lot of like the asset, what is it? Asset protection on this show and the other shows. Right. I think I I can't say because I'm not a lawyer, but we're going to set up each property in its own LLC. And then eventually when it's probably worth over a million dollars worth of things, we're going to try and put it in a trust as like an umbrella for all those LLCs. And then one day do like the that's in Bermuda. You can't touch me type trust. So (laughs) I think, I think that that pretty much is their plan going forward. It's so cheap to file LLCs that if you're, if you feel like there's even like a smidge of protection extra that you're getting, it probably makes sense to pay the 100 to $200 to just set up for each property. And then I think, I mean, you may know this better than I do. Is it easier on an accounting end? Because then you each have each entity, you know, instead of just this whole scrambled like seven properties and one LLC and all these expenses for different houses type thing.
2: I mean, for me in California, it's actually I think it's eight hundred bucks to open up a new uh, LLC, and then the tax returns I can like another like twelve hundred bucks a year. So it can get pricey, especially on like smaller single-family residences if you're trying to spring up a, an LLC for each one. Uh, but to your point, I think everyone's gonna have like a different risk profile, um, and if you're you're really concerned about potential litigation or, or protecting your assets, then obviously it might be worth that extra expense. But um, I, I think our approach moving forward is that we'll we'll have a collection of properties that fall under, um, you know like one LLC, so maybe five in this one, five in the next one, and so on and so forth. And then eventually, you know, we'd like to put a trust in place as well.
1: And then it probably also matters on how expensive the properties are, because I don't, yeah, like you'd probably not want like three $3 million properties in the same LLC. But if you have five 50K properties, that's probably fine. Don't quote me on that. I'm not a lawyer.
0: I just, I want something that Tony said to be a reminder to everyone how he said, you know, it costs $1,200 for an LLC tax return in California to do his return. So I think a lot of people forget to actually add that into their numbers when they are doing a rental property. If you don't do your own tax return and you are hiring an accountant out, if you get an LLC, that's a separate tax return you have to pay for. I think mine runs like $250 to $300 uh, per year per tax return. But if I were to go and put an LLC on every single property, that's $500 plus that $300 for the tax return. And if you are just buying like a small single family rental, cash flowing, you know, maybe a hundred bucks a month, you you know, have a, a mortgage on it, everything that I mean, there goes your cash flow. It's gone. <laughs>
2: if right. you don't remember right. to time. add in
0: that accounting cost, yeah. But for my partnerships, we do um each partner I have an LLC with them and we put our properties. And I, I think Nate's point is very valid. Like I'm buying fifty thousand dollar properties. We're throwing a bunch of them into an LLC. And then it just depends on the equity split. So with one partner, we actually have two LLCs. One, we are 50-50 each. And the other one, we are 60-40 each. And it just depended on the money that each were putting in and the workload that we were each taking on that determined that we were changing some of the properties to that 60-40 split too. So I, I think there's a there can be a lot of costs associated with having multiple LLCs. I actually like having more properties under an LLC because if you are using bookkeeping software like QuickBooks, they charge you per, uh, an entity. So if you have an entity for each property, you're going to have to pay, you know, 50 bucks per month per each property that you have, where if you have the LLC with five properties in it, you're just paying for that one QuickBooks file. So I think there's definitely an advantage. And as far as asset protection liability, um, if you, are have, you have mortgages on these properties and there's not a ton of equity, if there's not $3 million of equity in the property, um, you don't have a ton to protect anyways um, if you only have, you know, $50,000 in equity in your portfolio. So I think that kind of plays um, into factor too. Because no big-time uh, attorney hotshot is going to go after, you know, your LLC if it only has ten thousand (laughs) dollars in (laughs) equity so okay uh nate we're gonna go to our rookie exam and this one is special for you we actually have four questions for you today so the first one is the the most important which podcast is your favorite to copyright for of the bigger pockets platform
1: well clearly it's um it's, it's not a hard decision. It's the new podcast on the market, which you guys should check out. Um, get more people over there because it's a really good podcast. And Dave Meyer does a very good job talking about up-to-date uh, information. No, rookies is a really good podcast. I, I, every single time it's good because you see people who are in the same situation as you. And it's just good because you're sometimes you're learning the same lessons over and over again. But with just like a different flavor. So you're like, cool, I won't do that thing that that person did. So, yeah, I love the Rookie podcast. But go check out On the Market. It's a great podcast. On the
0: Market was, yeah, it's such a good answer because I love it too. Um, My friend's James Dainard is one of the hosts on it. And I've been listening to every episode. It's uh, really great, especially now with a a lot going on in the market to to stay informed. On
2: and in the economy, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, so the next question. What is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode?
1: Just talk about real estate more. I met my partner through work. Because I just talked about it a lot, I've had people offer me money because I've talked about it a lot. I've had she's had multiple people offer her. They're like, "Oh, you did a self storage deal? Let's. I'll just you go want money for the next one." That's it's it's weird. Post just post on Instagram, even if you're not that comfortable with it. Post once in a while. Talk to people at work. Talk to family members. Just talk to everybody because most likely someone might not even be thinking of it, but it might be able to change their life in a way that they can do something that they love. So just talk to
2: people. Yeah, that's fantastic advice, Nate. Love that, man. Ash and I've preached the same exact thing many, many times in this podcast. So, love that. All right, question number 2. What's one tool, software, app, or system that you use in your business?
1: Easy Storage Solutions. It's 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 pretty intuitive. I like it. If you have a I know there's there's two big ones for storage, StoreEdge. It's literally called StoreEdge, and it's called Easy Storage Solutions. Those are I think the main two that people use, but if you're trying to get into self-storage, Watch some videos on that because when you get a self-storage facility, it'll be way easier, but it it just makes running everything really easy.
0: And Nate, the last question, where do you plan on being in five years?
1: Probably with more storage units, hopefully doing less. That is the, the, my goal is to do nothing. Not in a lay around all day thing, but really just taking your brain away from things that that i don't know just putting your brain to the best use possible and i feel like if you invest in real estate and you like you like investing in real estate and solving these fun financial problems that are fun for you buying more real estate probably will give you more energy than taking away from it even though it's work so hopefully with more units hopefully doing less maybe with a gator farm in florida who knows we'll see
0: i can't wait to come visit that
2: yeah please <laughs> yeah i know i'm excited too man <laughs> Uh, all right. Let me, before we close this out, I just want to highlight this week's rookie rock star. So again, if you would like your story featured on the show, uh, get active in the real estate rookie Facebook group, which is honestly one of the most active, the most engaged Facebook groups out there. Get active in the real estate rookie forum on uh, bigger pockets. Uh, there there's so there's like a wealth of knowledge. Almost any question you can think of asking has probably been answered somewhere at some point on the, on the uh, bigger pockets forums, but Today's rookie rock star is Andrew White. And Andrew says, started last week on our most ambitious project yet. This will be our fifth property and our fourth Airbnb. It's a 1930s historic build in San Antonio. Uh, in San Antonio, Texas. The plan is to air Burr and B, this property, and it's a doozy. Uh, almost 4,000-square-foot main house with five beds and four baths, um, as well as a two-bed, one-bath casita, so seven bedrooms in total, uh, but they purchased it for $265,000. They're planning a whopping $210,000 for the rehab, and the ARV is projected at $700,000. 700,000. Um, And then they did a cash out refi, leaving about 10 grand into the property. Uh, Right now, the monthly revenue is about 11 grand a month, and they're cash flowing about 5,100 bucks a month, uh, which gives them a crazy cash on cash return of 660%, which is uh,
1: pretty solid. Yeah. Get Andrew on the show. Why am I here? (laughs) Drew's killing it.
0: Well, Nate, thank you so much for joining us. I uh, really enjoyed hearing about your Rochester property and the self storage. Can you tell everyone where they can reach out to you and find out some more information about you?
1: Sure. If you have any organic content, SEO, copywriting needs, you can go to calicocontent.com. That's calico like the pirate or the cat. Um, calicocontent.com, or you can email me at nate at calicocontent.com. You can also find me on Instagram at NateLikesMoney. That's actually my handle. So
0: that's a good one. I like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's that's basically it.
0: Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. Uh, if you love the podcast, please leave us a five star review on your favorite podcast platform and check out our YouTube channel and make sure you are subscribed at The Real Estate Rookie. My name is Ashley Care at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony Robinson at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. Still